Thank you, Brian, for your prayers. And welcome to those of you who have tuned in. Um, welcome to New Life Church online, uh, to all our visitors, and to all of our members watching today. We are currently going through a series in the Gospel of Luke called The Parables of Jesus. And at this point in time, during the ministry of Jesus, he is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is determined and his heart and mind is fixed on the cross that he has to endure and to be crucified on. And during this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, Jesus spends a lot of time teaching his disciples many truths. And last week we looked at one of those lessons in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we learned from this parable to not ask the question, who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor can I be? Uh, and today we look at another parable that Jesus teaches his disciples. And we look at the parable of prayer, the subject of prayer. And if you remember from this passage in verse 1 to verse 4, Jesus is talking, teaching his disciples how to pray, and what we commonly call the, the Lord's Prayer. But however, this is not actually the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. He is teaching his disciples how to pray. In verse 1 of Luke 11, Jesus responds to one of his disciples who asks the question, Lord, please teach us how to pray. And then from verse 2 to verse 4, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer. So it's not, a, it's not a chant or a mantra that we have to repeat all the time, but rather a pattern to help us to pray to the Father about his concerns and about our needs. So today in our passage, we will be looking from verse 5 to verse 13. And Jesus continues his teaching and his instructions to his disciples by showing us how we should be approaching God with an attitude of persistence, bold persistence, knowing that a loving father wants to provide for his children. He wants our spiritual good. And he uses a parable to help us learn this very important lesson. So Jesus, again, takes his, this eternal truth and lays it alongside a story of everyday life. So read with me, please, if you would, from Luke chapter 11. We'll be reading from verse 5 to verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs and I tell you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened what father among you of if his son asks for a fish, 
will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The great Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said this about prayer. He said, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. Well, if this is true, if this is true, then why is prayer such an area of struggle for so many of us? Um, there was a story about a small town that had historically been dry. They had no alcohol for a long time. But then a local businessman came along and decided to build a tavern. And a group of Christians from a local church were concerned and they planned an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. And it just so happened that shortly after this prayer meeting, a bolt of lightning struck this tavern, this bar, and burnt it down to the ground. And the owner of the, the bar, he hired a lawyer to argue in court that, this, that these people were responsible, the prayers of this congregation were responsible. And the church hired another law lawyer to argue in, against this accusation that they were not responsible. Anyway, this court case went on for a while, but the presiding judge, after his initial review of the case, he made this statement. He said, that no matter how this case comes out, one thing is certain. The tavern owner believes in prayer, and the Christians do not. Funny and a sad story altogether, isn't it? Why do so many Christians struggle with prayer? You know, our prayer meetings that are open to everyone that happen on a Friday morning over Zoom are one of our least regular attended meetings. Um, even though when we become members of New Life Church, we promise to share in the ministry of our church by praying for each other and her health and her growth, but yet we don't see a lot of that happening. Why do we struggle in this area of our, of our Christian lives? And Jesus' disciples perhaps were struggling with that same question because they, they asked him to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus gives his disciples some important teaching about prayer that is necessary and relevant for all of us even today and disciplined prayer is essential to godly living we cannot go without it i think another reason we get discouraged and we struggle with prayer is because of the problem of unanswered prayer we can get so discouraged that we we start to think what's the use and we even end up quit praying. And we hear stories of how God has answered prayers of, of others. But for us, it's just, it just doesn't seem to work. And sometimes we try again, but we're like little children who, who knock on the front of a door and run away before it gets opened. We don't stick around long enough to find out if, if God is home and if He is willing to even answer our prayer or, or not. So, I think many of us are like that. 
And some may think that because God is sovereign and He is holy, perhaps we shouldn't bother Him with our small petty needs. Or perhaps we should come apologetically and, and timidly afraid to let Him know what is really on our minds. Maybe we've let our, our needs be known and then we just back off and not bother God anymore. Um, and Jesus shows us here in this parable, in this lesson, how we should be approaching God to receive the request that we need to be asking according to His will. But before we look at our passage this morning, we need to understand that these instructions from verse 5 to 13 assume the foundational instruction of verse 1 to 4. Remember the Lord's Prayer. And we cannot call God our Father and approach Him with our needs if we have never been born again into His family. If God is not our Father, then we cannot expect God to hear our prayers. We are not His children, and He is not obligated to answer our prayers. And our prayers for our needs, and not just for the purpose of, of making us happy, but for the overall aim of seeing our Father's name glorified and hallowed and His kingdom brought about on this earth. And those who are truly born again are committed, are devoted to seeing God's kingdom first, to see His glory first, so that our prayers are, are properly motivated and directed. So this is the context and in this setting, in this context, Jesus now shares a parable to teach us that we should approach God with boldness as His friend. Uh, we should be persistent in our, in our prayers until we obtain what we need in order to minister to others. So look at the first point this morning. Our first point this morning is from verse 5 to verse 8. We see the story. In this parable, Jesus teaches His disciples the eagerness of God to hear our prayers. Um, having given the disciples a pattern for prayer already, Jesus goes on to give a humorous parable. So here in verse 5, Jesus is saying to His disciples, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. While it's helpful to remember the culture, the, the background with which Jesus is using this scenario, try and imagine the scene. Now, people of those days often lived in smaller uh, one or two uh, bedroomed homes, and the family all slept on the floor, normally on the, on the, in the same room, usually on a large mat on the floor. And travelers had very few options. Travelers would travel late in the day and, and into the night because of the heat, and they would arrive well after a sunset. So if you refused a traveler, um, then he was out on the streets. He had no place to stay. And it was considered extremely improper to do that, especially if you knew this person. Um, you would provide just a, a small meal for them. Um, so that they could sleep well after their long day's journey. So this was the context. This was what was acceptable. This was what was normal in that culture. 
And we see what happens here. This, friend's, this man's friend who had been traveling, he arrives. He arrives. He discovers that um, he's, he has no bread to give to his traveling friend. And remember, there were no McCullers out in those days and no little supermarkets or stores that, that you could run to in the middle of the night to get what you needed. So the only option he had was to go to his neighbor, to his friend next door down the road to ask for bread that he could provide for his traveling friend. But the neighbor answers within the house. He says, look at verse 7. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So we see here the neighbor gives four excuses for not getting bread. And none of those excuses are, are really valid. They're not good excuses at all. But the man did not give up. He did not just walk away and say, okay, khalas. He persisted. And Jesus says, I tell you, look at verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So clearly the man did not stop after he was initially rebuffed. He persisted. He persisted and that word impudence that we see in verse 8, in fact, is only used here once in the whole Bible. This, this word for impudence means audacity. It means shamelessness. And the idea is that this man had a shameless boldness in going to his neighbor and pressing him until he got the bread to feed his traveling friend. So Jesus was teaching here his disciples how we should pray, the, the attitude that we need to have while we are praying. And he was encouraging them to go to God with shameless boldness. Unlike the reluctant neighbor, God is eager to hear our prayers. Um, one commentator said, we must not play at prayer, but must show persistence if we do not receive an answer immediately. It is not that God is unwilling and, and must be pressed into answering. He is willing. The whole context makes it clear that He is eager to give. But we need to ask. And if we do not ask, if we do not want eagerly what we are asking for, and if we are not doing this enough to be persistent, then perhaps we do not want it very much. And that leads to my second point here. The second point we see in verse 9 to verse 10, we see the application. So Jesus applies the parable by telling the disciples to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking with the promise that if you do, they will obtain their request. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
So the idea here in these verses we see is, is persistence. And that idea is reinforced by these words that are being used here very intentionally. Words such as ask. Words such as seek. Words such as knock. Well, we know seeking is, is stronger than asking. And we know actually physically knocking is, is stronger than, than seeking. So the importance of this element of persistence cannot really be exaggerated. It's right here in our passage for us to see. And you find it not only in the Bible, this teaching, but also in the lives of all the saints through church history. Now I mentioned that God is not like the, the neighbor in the bed where you have to keep bugging him because he is reluctant to give you what you need. God is not like that. So then why? The question we need to ask, why then do our prayers sometimes go unanswered? Well, I think the truth is God doesn't always answer according to our timetable. He knows when our faith has been sufficiently tested and, and tried. He knows when our submission to His will is complete or when it is incomplete. He knows when the time is right for Him to grant our requests. And another reason may be we are not praying according to God's will. We are praying according to our flesh. And we want to consume these requests upon our flesh. We're not praying for God to be glorified. And if we come to realize that our request is not according to, to God's will, or if we get a, a distinct sense from God that perhaps we should stop praying that request, then we should not continue to pray for that need. But otherwise, as the scriptures are telling us, we should keep asking, we should keep seeking, and we should keep knocking until God answers. I've mentioned George Mueller before in one of my sermons. He was a, a famous pastor in Bristol, England, and he was a faithful prayer warrior. He was also a director of the Ashley Down Orphanage. And in his diary, we read about his shameless prayer. And let me read one of his entries for you. He says, in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed. And then the second was converted. I thank God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thank God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, he wrote that the other two the sons of one of Mueller's friends were still not converted. And this is what he says in his journal. But I hope in God, 
I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And then in 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted after his, his death. And Mueller understood what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they should pray with impudence, with shameless boldness, because of the eagerness of God to hear our prayer. And these prayers that Mueller prayed were clearly for God's glory. They weren't for his selfish ambition or his selfish flesh. These prayers that he was praying were for the, the furtherance of, of God's kingdom. They were not selfish requests at all. So he kept on praying, even though at times it seemed that God was not hearing his prayers. He continued persistently to pray. And like the friend at midnight here in our parable, our job is to keep on knocking, to keep on knocking on behalf of our needy friends, on behalf of our, of our needy family members who are unsaved, on behalf of our loved ones that still need to come to Christ. We need to keep on knocking on heaven's door until we obtain from God what they need, salvation. We should not give up. We need to be persistent. Let's move on to my third point. We see here in verse 11 to 13 the illustration that Jesus is giving. And I think here in this passage, Jesus seems to be answering a, a silent objection. And the objection may go like this. Well, if God is like this groggy, unwilling neighbor at midnight, then, then I'm not sure I, I want to actually bug Jesus or bug God. And here, Jesus changes that. He changes this picture to that of a, a loving father who wants to meet the needs of his dear children. And then he concludes, much more, how much more the Heavenly Father will meet the needs of his children because he loves them. And his aim is to encourage us to come to God as our loving Father, being assured that he cares for us and that he will meet our needs. And similar to verse 5 to 10, Jesus now gives an illustration with some application look at verse 11 what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion verse 13 if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him I think this is a, a very effective illustration because it's, it's so ludicrous, isn't it? I don't know of any earthly father who would be so cruel as to give his hungry child something deceptive and, and harmful in, in the place of the food that his child is asking for. A snake with its silvery scales could might possibly be mistaken for, for a fish and possibly a, a coiled up um, a scorpion could look like a, a, maybe an egg to, to a small child. But the child trusts his father and takes this object from him 
in all, in all trustworthiness. And rather than help him, they end up harming this child. And the point is, even unbelievers, even those who are outwardly um, wicked, would never treat their children in this manner. And Jesus drives home this application here we see in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Here Jesus specifically is mentioning the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that we could possibly imagine. And Jesus is not talking here about health, wealth, or even prosperity. And unfortunately, people think that those three things are the best gifts that could possibly be given. Those aren't mentioned. The greatest gift that could ever be given is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He is not promising to, to meet all of our material things or, our, or, or give us earthly benefits. But He is promising that if something is for our spiritual good and we come as trusting children and ask the loving Father, He will give it to us. Of course, He may delay these blessings because He knows when we need them. He knows when I am ready to receive them. He may have purposes of, of training us in faith, he may have purposes of wanting us to wait so that we'll be ready to receive these blessings at the right time. And he may know what I do not know. He knows the future. We don't. He knows when we need them as well, the perfect timing. Um, he knows the ultimate time. And he knows our ultimate, what is ultimately good for us. And so at times he will deny our request because... He has something much better for us. But Jesus is teaching that we should approach God with trust. We should approach God with trust, just like a child would. Just like a child would come to his loving father. And, and if my request is, is not spiritual, if my request is, is not good, the father will not give it to us because he knows better. Andrew Murray he put it like this. He said, Father-like giving is the divine response to childlike living. Let me say that again. Father-like giving is the divine response to childlike living. I think that captures this parable perfectly. And here we go back to verse 13 again. And really, verse 13 brings us back full circle to where Jesus' instructions on prayer began. And those instructions began in verse 2, that we must come to know God as our Heavenly Father. Remember, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. And it's on the basis of God's love for us as our Father that we come to Him. Now, the opening word of the Lord's prayer governs everything else that, that follows here. 
And when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, then we are seeking our Father's honor. We're basically seeking our Father's glory. When we pray for His kingdom to come, we are praying for the establishment of our Father's authority. When we pray for our daily bread, we are asking our Father to meet our needs. When we pray for forgiveness, we are asking our Father to show us mercy. And when we pray against temptation, we are asking our Father to keep us safe. And as we bring all of these petitions before the throne of grace, we are praying to God as our loving Father who loves us and He knows what's best for us. And we ask according to His name, in His name. So the question today, perhaps if your prayers have never been answered, the question that you might need to ask yourself first and foremost is, is Jesus, sorry, is God your Father? Is He your Heavenly Father? I found a, a poem this week which really summarizes this disciples' prayer perfectly. And I have it for you on the slides there as well. It says, I cannot say our if I live only for myself. I cannot say father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say hallowed be your name if I am playing around with sin. I cannot say your kingdom come if I am not allowing God to reign in my life. I cannot say, give us this day our daily bread, if I am trusting in myself instead of in God's provision. I cannot say, forgive us our sins, if I am nursing a grudge or withholding forgiveness from someone else. I cannot say, lead us not into temptation, if I deliberately place myself in its path. A great summary there of the disciples' prayer. But the question remains, is Jesus' Father your heavenly Father. And I think one of our biggest struggles is that we assume too much. We assume too much. And we don't live as if God is our Father, even if we are Christians. We don't live our lives, we don't demonstrate in our daily life that God is our Father and that we are His children. I think that's one of the biggest problems in, in most Christians' lives is our failure to know God or experience God as our Father, as we should know Him. And we say, yes, yes, we, we know that and, and we, we believe that, but do we demonstrate that in our confidence in our Father? Do we demonstrate that in times of trials, in times of worry, in times of anxiety do we demonstrate that faith in our father i think if we got hold of this truth we would probably smile in the face of this adversity in the face of possible all possible outcomes that lie ahead of us and remember one of satan's original plans and one of his ploys was to get eve 
to doubt that God is good. And his commandment was keeping something good from her. And he still uses that ploy today to, to cause Christians to fall and to keep unbelievers away from God, to doubt God and His goodness. The devil might say, well, if God is good, why does He allow such pain and suffering in the world? I'm sure you've heard that question. Why does a good God allow a little child in a war-torn land to get his legs blown off by a landmine? Why does a good God allow a sweet little toddler to die a slow, painful death from COVID? Why does a good God allow bags of ammonium nitrate to blow up and destroy a whole city? These difficult questions could go on and on and on. The Bible doesn't gloss over these problems or pretend that they don't exist. The Bible answers these difficult questions. We've got the book of Job that shows us that God centers on our finiteness. And we need to remember that God is infinitely holy. God is God and we are not. We are sinful. He is, he is not. He is holy. And we as sinful creatures shouldn't be challenging the authority of the Almighty One. He is perfectly just to allow the most righteous man on the earth to suffer. Um, because not even that man has, has a claim on God. And Scripture shows that the final solution to the problem of suffering and evil lies in eternity. Not in this life. We, this is temporary. We are passengers passing through on a journey. God will one day reward the righteous and we know that he will punish the wicked. But the existence of pain and evil in this world does not undermine the goodness of God. We need to remember that. With all the suffering going on around us, we shouldn't be doubting that God is our good, good Father. We shouldn't be doubting his love for his children. That's what Satan wants us to do. And even when we do not understand why God allows trials, maybe we don't understand the suffering, we need to come to Him in faith and ask for a fuller measure of His Spirit. We need to keep on asking, and we need to keep on seeking, and we need to keep on knocking. And Jesus promises that we will not be sent away empty-handed. We need to approach God with bold persistence, shameless persistence, believing and trusting and knowing that as a heavenly Father, He will give us what is good for us spiritually. It is impossible for Him to do anything else. It is totally against His nature. He is a good, good God, and He knows what is good for us I think you like me probably have a friend who would drop in at midnight on you and knock on your door but the truth is we don't have in ourselves what our friends need we don't have the bread but we do have a friend we do have a father in heaven 
who has plenty, who has everything that we need, enough to meet our friend's needs. And he invites us to disturb him. He invites us to wake him up, to be persistent. Not that God's asleep. That's not the, that's not the, the lesson here. He invites us to disturbing at any hour and to keep on knocking until we obtain what our friends need. Now, while we were living in India, there was a, a temple, a Hindu temple close to where we lived that was covered in bells. And we would watch every day, many times a day, people come to this temple and, and ring the bell. They would take off their shoes, ring the bell, and enter into this temple and offer their prayers to this Hindu deity. And we asked people, why are they ringing the bell? And they would tell us, well, we need to wake up God. We need to wake up God because He sleeps. Well, the Scriptures tell us, folks, that God never slumbers and He never sleeps. And we can knock and we can pray and we can ask whenever at any time because He wants to give His children good things. He knows what's good for us. He knows what would benefit us spiritually. If we trust Him, if we are persistent, and if we desire His kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven, our prayers will be answered. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Remember, God's character is good. There is no evil in Him. It's impossible for him to do evil. Trust him. Run to him. Seek. Knock. And be willing to persevere in prayer. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, for giving up so easily. Thank you for the reminder today, Lord, that you are indeed our friend. You are a good God. You are our Father who loves us, who wants to give us good gifts, who wants to answer our prayers and knows what's good for us. Lord, we've all had earthly fathers, and some of them have failed us, some of them have been good, but none of them match up to you, Lord. You know what is perfectly good for us. You make no mistakes, and we should trust you more. Please forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief. We pray, Lord, as we have studied here today, that you would remind us that we have been reconciled to you through your Son. And because of that, we can call you Abba Father. I pray today, Lord, if there are people watching and listening who don't have this relationship, who cannot call God their Father, that you would convict them right now. They're not sure, Lord, if they would stand before you one day, reconciled to you once they die and face their judgment seat. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would open their, their hearts this morning, that you would replace that that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh this morning. They would call out to you and be saved. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful for your love for us. Just another reminder 
of how much you love your children. Father, please this week, may we demonstrate our love for you by loving others the way you love us. For your glory, we pray for our loved ones who are unsaved. We pray that we would be faithful in praying for them just as we saw George Mueller pray persistently that we wouldn't give up, that we would believe that the gospel is the power unto salvation and that we would persistently pray, that we would persistently share and preach to them so that in your good time they would come to faith. So Lord, we pray this prayer for your glory. We pray this prayer for our joy. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please respond with me in song as we sing together how deep the Father's love for us.